0: This is Crisis Management, Columbus Business First's podcast about doing business amid the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, I chatted with Mark Tennis, founder of Simple Times Mixers, which makes all-natural cocktail mixers. Prior to 2020, the challenge facing Simple Times was capacity. Demand exceeded what it could produce. That changed last year when it moved into a production facility of its own. Then the pandemic hit. And not only did its aggressive growth goals for the year suddenly freeze, but 75% of its sales disappeared almost overnight. Now eight months into COVID-19, business has stabilized and growth again seems possible. Tennis shares how Simple Times changed its business for these times, what customer behaviors may have shifted forever, and how it supported farmer's markets by not going to farmer's markets. All that, plus there's a national honor for the Columbus brand as well. As always, thanks for listening, Mark, Thank you very much for joining me here. Uh, we've already kind of talked about it informally, but I want to start at the same place we're starting with pretty much everyone, which is how has the pandemic it affected your business? Um, actually, if you could maybe since it's been a while since we've talked, uh, take me yeah. back to take me back to when this started. When the when everything began, you know, what, what were you thinking? What changes did you have to make? What worries yeah. did you
1: have? Back at the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, obviously just kind of the, the backstory of us we're we're an interesting bird because we have split manufacturing office retail. So we have a lot of different kind of lines of businesses that we were looking at when, when this thing came to be. And we, I believe I, you know, we've, we've talked through this before, but we had just moved into our new manufacturing facility about nine months prior mm-hmm. to uh, the start of the pandemic. And at the beginning, that was probably the biggest worry, right? Brand new, big space, lots of capacity to fill. And we were humming along with growth in the plans. And, you know, we were one of those ones where not only did we need to be level, but we needed to be growing for the financials of the business to make sense. So, it's kind of a double double hit there which was how are we going to recover from what we had lost but then also to make our new facility make sense how do we get back on a growth trajectory so obviously we manufacture and we juice everything in house here fresh all natural cocktail mixers so it was a little terrifying at the beginning probably about 75% of our business was linked to either bars and restaurants or direct what we call direct to consumer markets, which in this day and age typically means a website for us, it actually meant farmers markets and craft shows and things like that, which uh, day one, basically those two channels for us went away with no foreseeable, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. So that was pretty terrifying. And so we, I think we like all businesses assessed what our what our costs were and what our ongoing costs were going to be and what we needed to do with our personnel. And how do we, how do we think about our people? We were actually had seven open positions that we were hiring for when the pandemic started. And immediately that next week, we're talking about layoffs and, mm-hmm. and what that means. And so that was, that was obviously not a, not a, not a slow shift um, as most people were feeling. So you know, very terrifying at the beginning, uh, as most, and then right into kind of roller coaster mode of how do we rewrite, rewrite the plan? I think we were we were one of the fortunate businesses that could pivot pretty quickly to the at home occasion versus the in bar restaurant occasion. So mm-hmm. we we essentially day one flipped our attention to first and foremost in our production facility. How do we get ourselves level set we we moved in to our our facility in june 2019 and basically that's our busy season so we immediately flew in here and started just going crazy and so the first couple weeks of the pandemic actually gave us a breather to reorganize get ourselves mm-hmm situated in an order so we had everybody pretty gainfully employed as we were not even producing but but getting ourselves back to where we needed to be and then the rest of our team literally just refocused ourselves on the e-commerce landscape so e-commerce represented about one to two percent of our business if we were going to get out of this where we needed to be we needed that to probably be 30 to 40 percent of our business Mm -hmm. which was daunting and crazy and terrifying at the beginning and it was basically part of our three to five year plan and we said if we have to do that in three to five weeks what's that going to look like and who all needs to be you know what what programs do we need to launch we we did all kinds of different uh bringing our fans in and and creating ambassador programs to revamping our website to bringing in new plugins so the infrastructure work to the packaging i mean we we had never shipped this much and what our relationship with FedEx and UPS had to look like. So if you want to talk about the people that were the busiest in the most terrifying times of it, it was, it was those guys getting everybody situated for, for kind of the wave that was coming. So we did that. And, uh, and luckily due to the support of the community. And I think, you know, there was a lot of rally in, in March and April around support small business and, and do what you can to support them online uh, while everything was down. And, and we were very fortunate that our community, did that a, a lot of gifting of cocktails a lot of virtual happy hours a lot of the things we all did in lockdown uh, independently were the were the focus areas of our business and and we were fortunate we we 30x our ecom and and luckily grocery which seemed crazy and and terrifying at the beginning when when everybody was short on toilet paper and getting essentials it was the highest foot traffic grocery channel you know 3 months essentially as everybody was buying for for their houses and and it was the one channel that remained open for a lot of folks other than getting e-commerce and shipping done. So those those channels ended up overperforming for us, which really helped. We were able to sustain. So we, we had about a two week blip where we we executed our plans on, you know, how do we minimize people's hours and how do we get our, our team back and, and we were fortunate enough that we looked looked at the team about after 2 weeks and we're like let's get everybody back we we hadn't secured anything with things like ppp mm-hmm. or uh or any of the government aid at that point but we had enough going on we had enough things that we could pivot to that we could honestly we made a few decisions just on keeping folks employed which mm-hmm. which we're super happy with now we stopped shipping some of the e-commerce that was within the 270 loop and brought one of our sales guys back to just do home deliveries mm-hmm. um, for 40 hours a week, which, you know, as we talked about as the new normal, quote unquote, I don't think we can get out of that now. This whole home delivery aspect of it when we're, when we're working towards the holiday here, we're mm-hmm. already hearing from FedEx and UPS what the last guaranteed ship date is for, for Christmas and for holiday. And it's honestly, it's terrifyingly soon. If you're, if anybody who's listening to this doesn't know, get everything in before Black Black Friday. Your hopes of of that last minute shopping is going to be an in person thing. We have that, and we'll have that ability, so at least folks can order in Columbus and surrounding areas, and we can still get it to them week of, you know, holiday. And I think that that's just infrastructure wise, those are pivots that that are going to need to remain probably beyond beyond the next six months even. So.
0: So uh, delivery increase in e-commerce uh, increase in grocery. How much of uh, did that end up kind of making up for uh, the, at least the initial losses that that you saw from the the lack of bar business in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, what it what it got us back it got us back to neutral. Like we okay. were able to make up and, and mm-hmm. get back to where we were in 2019, which was mm-hmm. very fortunate. And luckily for us, that's all sustainable business, right? So the, the difference, I think, in what we were expecting was 2020 was about geographical expansion for us, mm-hmm. moving into about five other states as far as physical brick and mortar. And honestly, that, that just kind of halted, right? And, yeah. and with, with the good fortune of Grocery Channel, which really helped us to get back to, to where we were, the expansion piece of that was really dried up. So yeah. as Kroger, Giant Eagle, Whole Foods were seeing record months, that also kind of meant that they were not super interested in entertaining new products or changing mm-hmm. shelf sets or anything like that. And, and honestly, we, we had to be very sensitive to that, right? You don't want to come in and it, it really sounds crazy as a cocktail mixer company to go in and bug a person who's been working for 14 hours in a grocery store trying to keep toilet paper stocked on, hey, what about a a fall promo that we can do with you guys? (laughs) So we spent a lot of time actually talking as a sales force, like what's the right level of, I don't know if you want to call it aggressiveness or, Mm -hmm. you know, a normal sales, and we pulled a lot of our sales folks into more kind of marketing, how can we help out, how do we make the supply chain a little easier for these folks rather than hitting them with things that really they're not interested in at this point at at that point nobody's really strategically looking for growth opportunities Mm -hmm. they're looking at how do we keep the wheels on and and how do we do it in a way that it doesn't harm anybody so we we took a lot of pauses in that we're now Mm -hmm. back to thinking about growth and and kind of how we started this conversation where we still got capacity to fill out we still want to make sure that we're that we're operating at a high level for our stakeholders and for everybody that works for us as a company we want to progress we we made a lot of promises to our team Mm -hmm. benefits packages increased pay you know making sure that we were doing all the things that as a small business we wanted to accomplish and and they don't deserve just because of, of a pandemic to have to sit around and wait for all that so with all those fortunate moves we're now back into how do we how do we put pressure on expanding geographically so that we can still work with new distributors and still work with uh, new new national accounts and grocers and things mm-hmm. like that so that we can do that. And we've, with that, that's been kind of the, the focal point of the last quarter is reigniting those programs. And we've been able to do that, which is, I think, going to help us in
0: 2021. As we yeah. look at that. there's a few things I want to come back to, but since we're on the topic of growth and, and expansion, um, now yeah. that you're thinking about it again and pursuing opportunities, are they the same ones you, you saw maybe a year ago or has the pandemic changed the growth opportunities that so is it a matter of just the timing has changed or have the actual opportunities changed either in stores or new state yeah. brick and mortar i guess or, or are you thinking about things differently
1: i think it definitely has changed our way of thinking i think it, it and i think it honestly permanently has changed the way mm-hmm. that that we've thought we we work in an industry that probably hasn't changed the way of growing in i mean i've been in this industry for going on 20 years and and honestly looking back to the 20 years before that it was, it was pretty formulaic how do you grow a consumable item in a grocery store channel is you go in and you sample in the store or mm-hmm. you put up signage or you fight for more shelf space right those are and then you have to have a good product right that, that people come mm-hmm. back and repurchase but it really boiled down to those three things and, mm-hmm. and guess what now shelf space is even more of a premium than it ever was before in store kind of call it surprise grab and go things where you're grabbing the consumer at checkout well essentials are taking that over now and and, mm-hmm. and they need to and so we understand that and then realistically how are we going to do in-store demos moving forward you know mm-hmm. this isn't uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this at the beginning with distributors it's it's not a wait it out and then when when a giant eagle allows sampling to happen you're you're back in the game right this is a this is a true consumer behavior change i i, I said this i say this to everybody i go you as a shopper when do you think you're going to feel comfortable grabbing a sample out of somebody's hand and taking your mask off and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and putting it in your mouth and and and, <laughs> and actually having that experience i go it's crazy to think that in 6 to 7 months that almost sounds like a joke right now that you would want to do that or do that. And that was like the cornerstone for growth when we talked with distributors and and expansion. So the tactics, even though fundamentally the strategy of like what core markets were really focused on and what suburbs within those core markets were Mm -hmm. focused on and what types of stores are performance in a giant Eagle market district versus a normal giant Eagle or a Kroger marketplace versus a Kroger. You know, that hasn't changed much. But once we get into market, all these things where our tactics have changed are going to fundamentally change what we think as a small business makes sense for speed of growth, market entry strategy. You know, so we're going to go slower. You Mm -hmm. know, we don't, it used to be a big bang approach. You're hitting a new market like Indianapolis. You want as many points of distribution as you can. We've changed that tactic a little bit for ourselves to say, We want the right points of distribution and we wanna do it where we can get sell through. And then we'll expand a little bit slower because that speed of getting people to try the product is evidently massively slowed down, right? So that's changed. And I think it also with the growth of e-commerce for us has changed the way that we wanna focus as, call it as a national brand, right? Mm -hmm. Like how can we use e-commerce to fill the gaps of that lack of trial or You know the ability to to focus in from a digital marketing perspective on new markets, so that we create that air cover to say, hey, now we're getting some sales in Louisville. Maybe that e-commerce is leading rather than Mm -hmm. lagging for us, and and we just have to change the way that we think about it. I don't honestly. I think that that's a fundamental shift, and I think most brands are thinking in that in that mentality now. We just were more archaic because we almost came from from an even more artisanal world where it's Mm -hmm. like hey not only are we thinking about in-store sampling but we were all the way back at farmers markets right executing farmers markets we did 500 total markets in the year 2019 when it came from from a Mm -hmm. farmer's market to a craft show to to a whatever and and with that fundamentally shifting it's it's tough to think in that mentality of like well now it's e-commerce right now it's just so we literally went from the two poles of of almost like evolution from a farmer's market to to an e-commerce led business both direct to consumer but two very fundamentally different ways of thinking about our business so we will walk back into you know the farmer's market world and mentality it still is very core to us as a brand but i don't see us ever hitting back to the levels that that we were before it's just it's just fundamentally has changed
0: I was gonna ask if you did any markets this summer because I know I know they exist, you know, they were out there. They did. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, we did. Again, it was one of those ones where we had to put the business second, I think, you know, to get a little touchy-feely and back to our values. I mean, our values are very much so about the community and community-led. We were a part of the ones that really wanted us to be there and that and that had the space for us to be there. So we still did like a Worthington Farmers Market, which has a really great outdoor presence. We still were participating every once in a while with Grove City, but we probably were doing, I would say probably 5%, 5 to 10% yeah. of what we were doing prior. And some of that was was led by the way that those farmers markets had to operate, rightfully so, was at a reduced vendor number, right? So you're talking 50% of the vendors that were normally there. To be hard on us, we're not we're not a fundamental to a farmer's market, right? Like you need yeah. the farmers, there, right? The farmers are the ones who, and, and we support our farmers through, through buying their produce and putting them into our products. And honestly, to take a seat away from somebody that that's their core sales avenue mm-hmm. seems a bit selfish in this, you know, environment where we have alternatives that we can go down. So we kind of took that softer approach, which was if you guys would like us there and we had benefit to it, we'll be there and we'll try to support. But but we were not trying to gobble up seats from other people. We were, we were blessed enough to have these other channels mm-hmm. that we could go to. So we got that question on like, well, why aren't you supporting the farmer's markets anymore? And, and honestly it was like, we kind of are by mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Being there. I was like, it's a really hard thing to describe to folks when, when that was core to who we were when mm-hmm. we, when we started. And it still is, but, but like I said, it'll be at a reduced, at a reduced rate
0: e-commerce what's the pitch to consumers because they can't they can't try it or can they i i I don't know you know so how do you find new consumers with your product
1: well i mean i think some of the things is as a as a new brand we had to get used to really trimming back on what our expectations were when it came to even profitability on certain things right i mean it it was it was a lot more clear at the beginning when it was like you, we were literally fist fighting <laughs> every day to try to just continue to get capacity into the building. So things that were just really difficult for us at the beginning for offering free shipping, right. You know, which is a huge barrier for consumers because of how Amazon has really changed the landscape on consumer expectations. Like we have a glass product with a bunch of liquid in it and it's very heavy and it costs a lot to ship and it, you know, so for us as a company, to get to a free shipping model was daunting and, and honestly it was a question mark for us on like could we even make financials like that work at, at what we were doing? So that was kind of step one, right? Which was mm-hmm. we can't get the product to you unless you purchase it. And so what are those barriers that kept us from from being purchased online? So that was a big one. We we went to free shipping over twenty dollars and we took a, a little bit of a hit as it as it played out. That was really the first kind of two weeks Zoom war rooming with myself and, and our and our small e-com and production team to say if we're gonna get this out to folks and get them to try it, how do we kind of incentivize them to do that? And and really it just became can we promo them and can we and can we offer free shipping so that mm-hmm. so that the barriers aren't there? But the second tactic that we really went down was we we're, we're such a huge social item right shareable Mm -hmm. item and referral and word of mouth is still core to who we are right so the the reason why we always loved farmers markets and we always loved being integral in the community was we knew if somebody took a bottle of our product that could make eight to ten cocktails they were typically sharing that with somebody right or they were Mm -hmm. typically you know bringing it to a to a house party or bringing it to a, a family event or whatever right that uh they were able to to share. So every bottle that went out the door, we were assuming it was basically touching two to three new folks as it as it came out. So we kind of asked ourselves, how do we do that in a in a digital space Mm -hmm. as well? Right. So that's where we reached out to a lot of our fans and reached out to folks on social media and we launched a new affiliates program, right. Where we had a lot of fans that were also at home now and also, you know, struggling potentially to pay bills. And so mm-hmm. we launched an affiliate program where they could offer their friends and family discounts and then also get a little commission back in, in kind of more of that ambassador or affiliate mm-hmm. kind of model. And we were able to bring on about 60 or 70 of those folks uh, into, into our family that, that we were able to, Cut a few checks out again i was like this is no nobody's core business right We're, not, we're not, yeah we definitely are not uh not in that world like many other dtc companies are but it allowed us to take kind of our our small and regional following and, and at least spread it out and, mm-hmm. and that was really helpful for us because we started seeing the shift right where even though we had an e-commerce platform 90 95% of our sales were getting shipped internally within Ohio. We ticked the box where now we've shipped to all 48 states and, and now that's kind of spreading and now we're focused on how do we continue to, to kind of expand that, uh, you know, as it comes. So luckily for us and fortunately for us, it's, it's been really good on, on replenishment. Folks that, mm-hmm. folks that have bought it have liked it and, and continued to kind of share, I think, with others. But we've had to come up with a lot of kind of creative ways to, to drive that trial. Another big one, kind of the third pillar that we got into pretty heavily as a focus for us, we kind of fell into it and then mm-hmm. said, whoa, well, <laughs> like most folks in the pandemic, hey, that's an opportunity, we should, we should talk about this now, was this mentality of, of kind of corporate gifts mm-hmm. and, and corporate uh, events, right? So as corporate events have changed we were we were a part of it so it was kind of one of those things where we we took the hit we worked with columbus convention center so when Mm -hmm. when they had a 600 person event and we could be a part of it that was a really nice business for us um as well as weddings as well as you know Mm -hmm. all these nice nice size events that are now either scaled back or just not happening corporate retreats and things like that that we were part of well those have now shifted to virtual happy hours and you know virtual charity galas and and things like that. So that has now become a new focus. How do we offer folks things uh, you know, unique and how do we take advantage of the fact that we own our own manufacturing. So we're not relying on anybody else to tell us what pack sizes and what flavors we can make and how we can customize. And so we've been able to kind of open that Pandora's box a little bit and turn to our corporate partners and ask them what they wanted, right? And what Mm -hmm. they needed and whether that was to fit it within a budget or whether that was to ship to everybody's individual address. You know, we've now gotten into that world where Mm -hmm. it's a 200 person virtual happy hour with 200 addresses. So there's not a lot of companies that are wanting to take that on right away Mm -hmm. in this environment. You have to be willing to do it. And we did. And so we viewed that as a very strong trial generator for us. If we could get a corporate client who wanted Mm -hmm. to do something with all of their folks, that was now an immediate thing where obviously it was, it was great business for us, but it also made a lot of sense to replace those high trial areas that we used to be in. So we're still a business where unfortunately to us, not unfortunately, I guess, you know, place to us is we're an all natural product. We, mm-hmm. we make things with real ingredients. It's an unfortunate thing in the food space that all natural seems to get easier and easier to put on your label because we truly are 31 ingredients juiced in house and put in with no preservatives and no colors. And, and unless you're reading our label intensely, we need to get you to try the product because trying the product is what gets people to believe, right? Oh, wow. Your pineapple tastes like pineapple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause, cause, it Cause is. it's actually uh, pineapple. Yeah. Cause it is. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how strawberries uh, taste when you actually use strawberries. And so, you know, this corporate gifting mentality, and as we shift and look into holiday on how, you know, corporate holiday parties are going to look and things like that, we still need to be able to, to get in front of that and, and kind of generate trial through, through these kind of bigger bang effects. Mm-hmm. And then, how do we support that then with, with other promo materials and things like that, that, that can offer discounts so that those folks can then share it with their friends and family and so on and so forth. So just adapting, that has definitely become probably one of the bigger eye openers for us. And, and it, and it kind of came to us in very unconventional ways too, right? The, mm-hmm. the job of, I've found it the most interesting is, you know, we've kind of stayed steady and continue to adapt and change. One of the more difficult parts as a founder has been I was very much so into into just constantly networking and constantly mm-hmm. expanding that, right? I love having coffee you and I have a coffee <laughs> multiple times, right? Like I love having coffee with folks. I love just kind of understanding how folks are doing what they're doing and in, in different industries. and you know, I'm not a tech guy, and i'm and I never will be. I'm a products person and and you know that's that's just who I am, but it doesn't mean I don't love learning about. All these different things, and honestly, that's been one of the more difficult things for me during the pandemic has been the fact that we can't do that, right? Like it takes mm-hmm. a much more concerted effort to get somebody on a Zoom call, or you know, that you haven't met before, or expand your network. In that regard, like the in-person thing has just always been my go-to, and and that's changed. But what what we have been able to do is network within a lot of our partners that we've worked with, and I've just found it fascinating how. How they've changed the way that they do it. You know, you would think as, call it like an industry of event planners. Mm-hmm. You know, what a hit, right? Like what a hit when there literally are no events. I mean, this is this is you know the, all the things that they had planned as weddings, all the things that mm-hmm. they had planned with the corporate partners that they've had. It's just been amazing the partners that we've had in that space that have then turned to us and said, "We've changed our entire business. We're a digital only event planner now." And I'm, i that to me is just it gives me so much hope that if you're able to take your entire business operating at what it is, go down to zero and then build it right back up in a month. Like that is, that's, if that doesn't inspire you, like, I don't know what does. Right. Like <laughs> that, that that to me is just like 100% what a lot of the folks that we've talked to have, have gone through and done. And, and it's just, you, you walk back into your office after hearing that and you're like, okay, let's get back to work, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, everything is possible. We can do this, continue to push. You know, there, is no, there, there, there was very little time, even though we had nothing but time to sit around and just sulk in it. We just had to go
0: back to it and, 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 and drive forward. I wanted to ask about uh, restaurants. Eventually restaurants were allowed to reopen and uh, they've been allowed to do to-go cocktails. So I was curious mm-hmm. if that created any opportunity for your business.
1: The to-go cocktail move, which which kind of came first from from an in in dining uh, mm-hmm. experience, you know, we jumped on that. The, mm-hmm. Literally, the the day Governor Dewine announced that it was 1.30, and we had our first deliveries by three o'clock. We kind of had some murmurs that potentially this was coming, mm-hmm. and 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 we were preparing ourselves. But our a lot of our core bar restaurant partners um, that wanted to get into it. We also knew that we had an advantage that we had to share with their groups as well, which was we had access to tiny bottles. We had access Mm to labels. We had access to, you know, a lot of the things that, a lot of these restaurants, when that was announced, it wasn't a smooth transition of, great, we were expecting this. We have all these things in the back (laughs) thing. And number two, it's like, when, when you have to order this stuff efficiently, you're, you're getting pallets of these at a time, 8,000 bottles at mm-hmm. a time. And what restaurant was day one willing to say like, yep, we're all in and this is going to work because nobody knew it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew it was, you know, anybody was interested in that. It was an avenue that opened up, but we were we were happy to kind of jump in on that. And we spent a lot of times, we we, uh, we launched out local cantinas to go cocktail program with them literally that day, mm-hmm. helping them with support on things like bottles and labels and things like that. And then I kind of spread from there, kind of word got out and, and we worked with it. We're a natural fit for that because mm-hmm. we minimize a lot of the work essentially. So you don't have to have a staff of people making it. We have longer shelf life, so mm-hmm. you could batch it for the week. And, and we, we were a very natural fit with the Coke Cocktails. It's an interesting one again, because we talk a lot about wins and then we talk a lot about sustainable wins right so yeah i think it was a win at the time still to be determined on like is that a thing even though it's permanently passed now Mm -hmm. and and there was there was some accolades with that it's it's still one of those things of like let's go back to the consumer right when things things change again are the consumers that that interested in this type of Mm -hmm. thing and we hope that they we hope that they they are, but but what's that level and what's the real equilibrium of what that looks like? So that was helpful. Obviously restaurants being open for in-store, in-dining, mm-hmm. and th- that is still very core to us. It's very helpful for us. It's a thing that, you know, more importantly, again, for sustainable wins, we need our restaurant partners to be healthy and financially healthy, mm-hmm. right? So. we look at it long term it was very helpful for us that they opened back up but even more so it's helpful for us that they get back on the right track to profitability because if we do see the plunge in number of restaurants and and that it goes to major large chains and not you know locally owned and things like that which are which are kind of the ones that are protected a little bit more than our locally owned partners Mm -hmm. you know those are those are folks that I always say, unfortunately, the bigger you get, the more efficient you can become. But sometimes Mm -hmm. quality and what we do isn't the first and foremost thought in that. And so really, we need this local level support and local level, you know, sustainable growth to continue if we're going to be if we're going to be helped out long term. So are we always concerned and on the edge of our seats when we hear talk of you know, what needs to happen moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I can say in the restaurant industry that we've been privy to is I've been absolutely amazed with the level of, you know, care that they've taken to keep people safe I, across the board. I mean, there's definitely going to be bad apples and there's going to be press about bad apples mm-hmm. that are out there. But, you know, when you ask somebody to literally change the way that they've done business and infrastructurally change and invest in things, you know, that, They've never had to invest in mm-hmm. before. I've been just absolutely blown away by how folks have done that. We've, we've had to do it here, but we're at mm-hmm. we're 10 people at our office, right. right? You know, we're not talking about uh, one hundred and fifty guests coming through our door at the you know the end of the day, so I feel for them, and I also just hope that we're seeing a, a better future now yeah
0: coming yeah forward, well so. it, it's like when I talk to people because it's it's been really easy to to kind of demonize restaurants and bars um through through covid and and i on the one hand, I think it would be naive to think that that isn't contributing to some degree the spread. I mean, just sure. pay, all activities are, that's the reality, yep. like yep. going grocery shopping's probably Yeah, you know? Um, absolutely. but, but I try to tell people that like, I don't think anyone's livelihood is on the front line more than a restaurant or bar operator, you know, right. and, and, and they take it very seriously, trying to yeah. do things the right, the right way. I think more so, than a lot of other industries. It's not blaming other yeah. industries. It's just it's it's easy to pick on the bars and restaurants. But I, I do think they're very serious about trying to do this the best they can because their likelihood Absolutely. completely depends on this. You know?
1: Well so, and like you know, we've just like we've talked about with other businesses, like mm-hmm. we give a lot of accolades to the folks that have, you know, we've gotten some accolades around keeping our people employed and actually expanding our workforce and and growing profitability as a company in really difficult times. But I tell people all the time, like, that's because we're also blessed with a lot of opportunity to pivot. Mm-hmm. Right. It takes a lot of hard work to pivot as a company, but we're also blessed to have those opportunities to pivot. And I just feel for restaurants that they don't have as many opportunities to pivot. Like yeah. right. I mean the, you know when you when you really look at the financials of what restaurants are able to do, flipping it to go cocktails or to go food utilizing things like DoorDash and, you know, again, not to demonize these things because they are pivots and they give opportunities, but the profitability is less. And when you, when you have to go to that model at lower profitability numbers, you don't have a whole lot to go at. So yeah, these guys are taking it super seriously. These guys and girls that that are out there fighting day day in and day out, because, you know, it's not as easy for them to say, we're going to go all digital. It's not as easy for them to say, We're just going to flip to, you know, non-event based. It's like hmm. they built brick and mortar to to work in a certain fashion. And, and, and it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't just allow you to, to start going digital or start taking advantage of grocery chains or doing whatever. It's not, that's not the, that's not the environment. So, yeah. you know, we, we always have to remind ourselves of that too, is we're fortunate Yes, we're working hard. Yes, we're we're constantly like looking at opportunities. Yes, we're doing that. But but we're also fortunate that we're allowed to do that um,
0: and that we we're able to do that. You you, I'm going to give you a chance to to brag about yourself. You your company yeah. uh, your company got an accolade, a notable accolade uh, here in yeah. the, the last month. So tell us uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the honor uh, Simple Times has received.
1: We were up for or nominated for the top twenty mixers, ca- uh, cocktail mixers in the country by USA Today and their 10 best poll. So that was a 100% polled by readers only thing. And it, it took an entire month to collect all the votes. So it definitely wasn't like a point in time thing that you could just do. And, and anybody who's listening to this that knows me probably got an email begging you to vote for us. <laughs> but yeah, we we took it pretty seriously and we uh you know, to us this was a super big honor because it wasn't determined by one or two experts. Mm-hmm. Um it was determined by everybody who's tried our product and and so they collected all those votes and we ended up getting number two in the country, which was fantastic and, and we were super stoked about it. I think it just validates a lot of what we were doing and mm-hmm. quality of the product that could kind of stand on its own rather than mass marketing and pushing out a huge message stream it was it was the product had to do that so we were we were very proud of it the team here has been very excited about it they got to kind of be their own campaign managers as we collected votes and and went about that but yeah no it's a a very very huge thing And, and one that i think has we've successfully put a lot of our craft spirits partners on that map and on a national map before middle west spirits i think also ranked in the top five i think watershed also ranked in the top five in their categories that they went after and and we were just blessed to to be in kind of a new i think category for the state of ohio and for the city of columbus and and it's great we we constantly in our industry hear about the newest and trendiest cocktail mixers coming out of brooklyn and california and to put Columbus on the same radar and, and actually beat a lot of those folks was was a, uh, we, we smiled a little bit on the inside and the outside. Let's put it that Good. way.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well, congratulations. I think that's a, a pretty nice uh, positive note to end on, unless uh, you can think of anything else I haven't asked you about.
1: Last thing I would just say for anybody who's listening to this from our community, we just, we're beyond appreciative of what everybody's done for us as a company, from telling your friends about it to trying our product it's what keeps us here and it's what keeps us supporting other folks in our community. So pandemic's crazy. Uh, and we will never, (laughs) never not have that on our crisis plans, uh, in the future, but we've been very fortunate. So thanks for having me.
0: Sounds good. Good to chat with you, Mark. And, uh, we'll uh, talk with you again soon.